for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Yes, indeed you are. This is TNT, today's News Talk. I am Rick Munn. This is the Locked and Loaded Show, and we still have plenty more to squeeze in before the top of this hour when my shift will end for today. We have Gemma Cooper coming up, and also Nick Dunn is joining me again, and some people have already commented already. Rick Munn and Nick Dunn on the same program together. Some people have actually suggested we open a new clothing line, Munn and Dunn. They reckon there's a business opportunity in there as well. Who knows? Listen, anything is possible these days. Nick is coming back on. He's an ex-para He's an uh, ex-military guy. He served six years in a hellhole Indian prison, and he wrote a book about it called Surviving Hell, and I wanted to get him back onto the show to expand on that in a little bit more detail. So he's coming on to do that at around about 20 past. And then uh, to finish off the show, I'm going to be joined again by the one and only Lady Liberty, a.k.a. Kate Fantanel, beaming in from Perth in Western Australia. She's going to be giving us a rundown on what it's like trying to eke out a living there uh, under the current cost of living crisis, and also, unfortunately, some of her recent experiences in the Australian health system uh, and other things as well. We're going to try and uh, talk about that with Kate. So that's coming up as well. Make sure you stay tuned for her because she's great, uh, as is all my guests, but it's all still to come here on the show. If you haven't done so, we have an app that's available on the Google Play Store and the App Store. Please download a TNT Radio app. And of course, you can follow us here on tntradio.live. That's our website. And we'll be streaming this out on video and also you can listen in audio. It's up to you however you uh, how you partake in the TNT experience. Some people prefer audio only. Some people like to watch and see what's going on. The choice is yours, people. As always, the choice is yours. So what's happening in the world at the minute? Well, uh, Roderick O'Gorman in Ireland. Uh, you know, it never ends here in Ireland. You know, Ireland is a hotbed of news at the minute. Roderick O'Gorman has announced that Ireland will take uh, in nearly double the amount of illegal economic migrants in 2024 that they did in 2023. The Irish people have overwhelmingly rejected mass immigration. Roderick and the rest of them are in a lot of trouble, and they are. Uh, Sinn Féin's polling numbers came out yesterday. They have lost about four years' worth of gains because of their current stance on this one particular issue. Uh, as many as 20,000 asylum seekers could come into the state this year. Ministers have been told this is a sharp rise from over 13,000 international protection applicants last year in 2023. The figure was presented to ministers at a cabinet subcommittee meeting on Ukraine last Thursday. So, you know, they're gearing Ireland up. They accept twice as many people in this year as they did last year and already look at the upcry, uh, the outcry and the uprising that's going on in the people that are here. It's just going to go from bad to worse. Also, uh, one other thing here uh, that I have concerning Ireland, Sinn Féin uh, Minister Sean Crow objects to plans for 82 homes to be built in his Dublin constituency. And the thing that, that, that he's complaining about or crying about is the fact that it means there'll be too much population density 
in one particular area because it's on his doorstep, basically. So he's objecting to 82 homes being built. He doesn't have any problem with people being stuck into repurposed office accommodation. He doesn't have any problem with entire villages having their populations doubled overnight by unvetted men being bussed into the country or flown into the country. But when it's on his own doorstep, all of a sudden, he seems to have an issue with it. So he's trying to block the planning permission for 82 homes in his Dublin constituency. And don't forget, Ireland currently has over 10,000 homeless people. And here we have a minister blocking an application for 82 homes in his own constituency. <laughs> Unbelievable. How do, you, how do these people genuinely... Listen, I'm no angel, okay? I am not an angel and I'm not a saint, believe it or not. <laughs> Some people think I am. I'm not. I can be a nasty little piece of work sometimes. But, you know, I can look at myself in the mirror when I'm brushing those teeth of mine morning and night. I can look at myself in the mirror with some kind of a conscience and not be repulsed by what I see in terms of the actions that I carry out in this world. How these guys and girls look at themselves in the mirror. I don't know if they even brush their teeth or even maybe they have the mirrors removed from their bathrooms because they can't stomach themselves. But how they sleep at night is completely and utterly beyond me. They are the lowest dregs. They are the scrapings of the bottoms of people's shoes. They are the lowest of the low. And uh, I think that's made my feelings perfectly clear on what I think of Irish politicians. But anyway, I'm going to take a brief pause and Gemma's going to hop in here. So please don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT Today's News Talk. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. You know, let's be honest, you know, we all have skeletons in our closet, don't we, Gemma? No, none of us are perfect. The Bible says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm judging people. Yes, I know that. And I'm not perfect myself. But hell's bells, there is a scale. Is there not? There is a spectrum you can sit on when it comes to corruption and debauchery and wickedness and vileness. And I don't think we sit just as high up the scale as those people, do we? Or at least not that we know of. Well, it's very interesting there about how they look at their reflections in the mirror. And I wonder, you know, like vampires, they can't, yeah. they don't have a reflection. They don't have a shadow because they're not fully human. And I mm -hmm. wonder, is it, is it, is that the case? Not that they haven't got any mirrors, but they actually haven't got a reflection. You know, if we oh, look I into their know. souls and find out what's going on, I think it would be a pretty dark place. Oh, it will. And uh, listen, uh, genuinely, I, I get, right, we covered a story there uh, with Natalie that, for example, some of these uh, MPs, one MP in particular, made €650,000 in one year on top of his uh, parliamentary wages from putting Ukrainians in their guest house. Now, if he has a business, uh, forget about conflict of interest. I understand people have to make money. Okay, I understand that. But they're being they're milking the system. And I mean milking the system. One hotel in Dublin, for example, was paid $25 million for a quarter. That's $100 million a year, Gemma, for putting people into these hotels. Now, take your profit if you must. If you really must, take your profit. But where do we hear the stories about, okay, we made $100 million last year in one hotel from refugees. We're going to put $2 million, just 2% of that, just 2% of that. We're going to put it back into the community and, and I take some Irish homeless off the streets. You never hear about any kickbacks. You never hear about any anything being put back into the communities. It's just take, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. And that's the problem. It's all uh, self-centered and self-absorbed. 
Yeah, and it's never enough. Well, I think we talked about this last week because we were talking about Baroness Moan and having her assets seized under the PPE scandal and the amount of assets that that, that, that one couple could actually have. You think, well, how many properties do you need? Mm. Because you can only live in one. How many cars do you need? Because you can only drive one at a time you know i've been guilty of it myself once once in my life i'm a big fan of watches and i bought a watch and then i bought another watch and another watch and then i looked at my watches i mean they're not particularly expensive watches just a few hundred quid here and there um but i thought i had five watches and i thought what am i going to do wear them all on my arm at the same time with different time zones around the world like one new york paris london you know it's just ridiculous i thought this is stupid gem you just need one watch um but it's greed and also that kind of just making that vampire analogy of people who are maybe narcissists, sociopaths. I mean, I don't think you get to the top without being pretty bloody ruthless, mm -hmm. actually. Um, that void in the soul that makes you have those tendencies in your behavior. I don't. I think it's a void that possibly can't be filled. And so more is never enough. More money mm -hmm. is never enough. And the irony is, of course, Rick, that if they did just give 1% of those mammoth profits into improving the lot of vulnerable people in society mm -hmm. and tackling those social issues that you so highlight very well here on TNT, everybody would love them and probably mm -hmm. people wouldn't would, wouldn't begrudge them the money and it would all be better but no no they can't do they can't do the right thing i don't think they actually know what the right thing is that's why no and you see that thing with greed uh Gemma, you know there's an old saying, uh, biblical, uh, people misinterpreted, said money is the root of all evil. It's not. It says the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And you look at these these people who are coining it hand over fist. They've got much more than they need. It would be so easy, at least you would think, for them to give just 1%, 2% of that back into the keep 98% for yourself and give 2% back, but they can't because they have to cling on to that 100% with every fiber of their being because they're nasty, rotten, money-loving, money-grabbing toe rags, the lot of them. And you know what? There's no pockets in the shroud, as my old granny said. And you know what? When they kick the bucket, they ain't taking it with them. It'll just simply be left for somebody else. So let them, let them be eaten by maggots and burn in hell. But anyway, uh, I digress slightly from the story that you have for us this morning. Uh, a little bit off topic there, but uh, yeah, whistleblowers, talk to me about them. Well, I, I quite like, I love your style, Rick. You know, here endeth the lesson. That's where mm. we'll end this one here. Here endeth the lesson. Uh, but yeah, there's been an investigation into maternity units here in the UK. Uh, one trust has been singled out, um, but it's indicative of the culture that is sweeping maternity units, and that is the culture of whistleblowing. Unfortunately, one tr hospital trust uh, these issues came to light after the death of two little babies, uh, Jasper White in July 2019 and Margot Botwell in May 2020. But concerns had already been raised about the members of staff at, at the Gloucestershire Royal Trust uh, way before these babies died. It was all to do with a maternity centre called the Cheltenham Birth Centre, where low-risk pregnancy women would go and midwives were on hand, uh, but there were no emergency facilities. And if you saw complications, you had to refer to the Gloucester Royal as soon as possible. The allegations are that these midwives didn't do that. But there were whistleblowers raising concerns at this trust before these babies died, and they weren't listened to. And the situation in maternity units, and we're talking precious little lives here, you know, uh, and, and yeah. families' lives ruined. Uh, but apparently there are three independent reviews now in to maternity care facilities at different trusts across the UK uh, and people are calling for a national inquiry into what they say is deep-rooted problems uh, around maternity, around you know newborns 
Um, and the chair of the inquiry says it's because of the way whistleblowers across the National Health Service are treated. And I would wager you could widen this out to all aspects of industry. Whistleblowers are never liked by those in power. But you're talking human lives here and you're talking babies' lives as well. Um, but he says whistleblowers are threatened with disciplinary action. You're regarded as a troublemaker by colleagues and bosses and it makes your working life extremely stressful. And whistleblowers in the NHS that there's lots of anonymous ones have come forward and said the culture surrounding whistleblowing here is so, so fearful. Nobody wants to say anything. Now, of course, we're talking about maternity here. We're talking about babies here. And so the two words that follow off the back of this story, of course, are Lucy Letby, who was convicted last year of murdering seven babies and trying to kill another six at a hospital trust. Uh, and the doctor who raised concerns about her in 2015 Dr. Stephen Breary, he whistle blew, he was ignored. He was ignored. Now, if his concerns had been listened to at the time, those babies could still have lived and gone on to bring endless joy to their families as small children and go on to become adults and have productive lives. But no, but the whistleblower tried. He really tried. And he says he has been inundated since that court case with emails from staff right across the NHS um, saying, you know, whistleblowing is such an issue. Um, we see malpractice all the time. And of course, it affects people. This is the NHS. This is not um, some corporate machinery in a factory. This is human beings. Um, so it's a huge problem. It's come to light today, but it's a huge problem, especially in maternity units, um, which is why they singled out these trusts and this particular trust. It's not just one trust. It's basically all of them. Um, how we solve this problem, I don't know moving forward. But as I say, you're talking human lives. You're talking babies' lives. Um, clearly, clearly something needs to be done. But it is it is a cultural thing, um, how you tackle the, the monolith that is the NHS. We do a lot of NHS stories now on this mm -hmm. show because it's failing. We did the NHS at the top of the last hour. It's clearly failing. But in this instance... The, the knock-on effects of little babies dying, it's really, really tragic. It is. And, you know, to answer your question, what do we do about this? You know, on one hand, you have this uh, in encouragement to come forward and blow the whistle if you think something's going on. But on the other hand, you have this fear of retribution, which stops people from doing what they're being encouraged to do in the first place. And when you say the word whistleblower, you know, one thing that comes to mind is, for example, Julian Assange. Look at him languishing in Belmarsh Prison. David McBride over in Australia, TNT's own David McBride, facing 50 years in prison uh, as a result of his whistleblowing. Are people that do come forward usually end up out of a job demonized ostracized vilified uh, by their their colleagues for trying to do what's right encouraging uh, you know company policy says you should do this but in the reality when you do it then the company comes down on your head like a ton of bricks so we need to remove this fear for retribution otherwise uh, a lot more people will stay silent and maybe uh, more deaths will result uh, because of that, Gemma. So uh, thank you so much for bringing that story as well. Hopefully it will mean more people will come forward this year, but time will tell like everything else. So big thanks to you, Gemma, for that story. Got to take a little break as per right now. And Nick Dunn, hopefully, will be joining me live here. We're going to talk about his book, Surviving Hell, Six Years of Hell in an Indian prison. I can't even begin to imagine what that was like for an experience, but Nick's going to share it with us uh, just after this short break here on TNT, today's news talk. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means, because what does far-right mean? I, I'd say that far-right means anything that you don't like, and um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. 
And it was just meant to evoke a response, and it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think, without actually having to think. It's 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 a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, you, these are bad guys, and uh, a moderate in in, in our lingo. I mean, let's see, it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah 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 party in the third world meaning well the guys we approve of and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of Eleanorov Taylor on today's news talk TNT when I had my heart event close to four years ago I was at the gym thought I deserve a coffee and thought I'll top up with fuel ordered a coffee but while I was pumping fuel I started to get chest pains then it got worse and worse and worse so then I was leaning on the counter thinking yeah something's not quite right so then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widow-maker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. And I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we are locked, we are loaded, and we are live, uncensored, and unscripted here on TNT Today's News Talk. And I'm very happy to welcome back here this morning for a little bit longer, a little bit longer chat, uh, the one and only Nick Dunn. Nick is uh, an ex-member of the Parachute Regiment. He has served in Iraq. He served in Afghanistan. He has worked in anti-piracy. And he was part of a group of ex-soldiers known as the Chennai Six, wrongfully imprisoned in an Indian jail for six hellish years. And he's wrote a book about about that experience as well, Surviving Hell. You can check that out on Amazon, an unknown to me. Actually, Nick, after you were on the show on Friday, my good friend Craig Donald sent a message, actually, that he had bought and read your book as well. He's an ex-forces guy too. So it, it certainly, if nothing else, it certainly impacted, yep, it certainly impacted at least one other person. Uh, that book, when you were writing it, it must have been a little bit of an exorcism for you after all that you've been through. Yes, it was... Uh quite cathartic as well um the guy who helped me write it and um, it's all my words just he formulated the book put it in the chapters it was quite good and um, because he's a local guy himself and he was following the story so it was basically just filling in quite a few blanks he got the gist of the whole story um it was the first time where i've had to sit down and relive, and he was quite uh, very patient with it. Um, but yeah, it it was definitely cathartic uh, writing it. Um, it was always something that, whilst still in prison, the people who were very kindly writing to us from around the world were asking, oh, "Am I writing any memoirs?" And I said, "Don't worry, they're all in my head." Mm -hmm. And then just when coming back to the UK and people would bump into you um, in the street, they would always say, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book, or, you know, there could be a film or anything mm -hmm. along those lines. And I just one day sat with my sister and just went, 
why not? Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Get it done. You see, here's the thing. There's, a, there's. I read somebody said that everybody has a book in them of some description. And when you look at the headstones in a graveyard, they say every everybody that's buried in there has a good idea, a good business idea, or maybe a book or a song in them, but they never bothered to put it down on paper or they never bothered to write it. So did you find that whenever you got the ball rolling, whenever you said, like, let's just get this done, did you find that everything just flowed out? It wasn't really a, a long, slow, painful process to put it all together, just like flooded out for you? Yeah, it, it was quite um, something similar to what you've seen. I, I, like, it was the first of a time where I was doing something like this. Um, yes, the stories from my time in the military and doing maritime, but to really sit down and talk about a, an international incident that I was a part of and lost four years of my life to, to basically share that with people and have great feedback from it. And, you know, just like what your friend have said and a few others, when they've when they've read my book, it's helped them in their own way. They've been able to take something from my book to help them in whatever hardship they may have been facing at that time. And to hear feedback like that, it just makes me proud as punch, you know, and... I feel like I'm giving back something for all the amazing support that they showed me when I was incarcerated. You know something, Nick? Uh, you know, I wanted, uh, we're talking about the contents of this book and how you actually put it together. But one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you again as well today was to maybe try and inspire other people. There could be people listening to us today, right? And they have a, a great story to tell or they've overcome a lot of adversity in their life. It could just be in their personal lives. It could, it could be overcoming an addiction. It could be getting out of debt. It could be putting their lives back on track, maybe after a failed relationship. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of people out there could inspire a lot of other people if they maybe shared their stories. Now, not everybody's comfortable doing that. I understand that. But maybe there's somebody out there today and they're sitting and they're thinking about it. Will I, won't I, should I, shouldn't I? And maybe listening to you talking here today, maybe they'll say, well, that guy's just an ordinary guy like me or he's an ordinary guy like Rick. And he has a story to tell. And if he can do it, if he can sit down and put this together and that book is helping other people, maybe it'll encourage somebody else to do the same. And I think if that's the outcome, then it's a win. Yeah, d- definitely. I am just a, a regular guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not some special person. I don't believe I'm some uh, special person. I was just one of those. It could. What happened to me was gonna happen, and it just unfortunately happened to me and my colleagues. You know, wrong place, wrong time, kind of thing. Mm. But well, as you said, everyone's got a story to tell. It's just whether you want to share that story. Um, yeah. My, I, I was never going to be doing a book, but it was the interest of people who followed me, who was writing to me from around the world. They wanted to know the story of what happened to me and my colleagues. And it was a great decision to do that. Um, and like I say, it's helped others and if you have a story or if you've experienced things in your life that you believe that could have some sort of influence on other people's lives, go out and do it, but don't be under the illusion that it 
it's a quick process. Mine mm-hmm. take took nearly the best part of a year just to get start the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, it takes a lot less time. But mm-hmm. like I say, everyone's got a story. It's just whether yep. you feel it's worth telling. Well, do you know what we'll do? Actually, uh, we've, we're due to take a little break. So what we'll do is we'll take a little headline break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about what that story actually is because you spent a lot of time uh, banged up in a horrible prison situation in a foreign land. And I've done a little bit of uh, prison ministry in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and Uganda and Kenya. And I know what prisons are like in the third world and they're not nice places to be. So maybe talk about your experiences in there and how it's maybe helping you to deal with some of the crap that's going on in the world at the minute because dare I say it uh, with all due respect there's probably nothing as bad what you'll go through as what you went through in that Indian prison so sometimes you can wake up in the morning having a bad day and you say well you know what at least I'm not back in that prison again today so we'll talk about that uh, the experience in a little bit more detail when we take these news headlines so please stay tuned for more of Nick Dunn here this morning with Rick Munn here this morning on TNT today's news programming to bring you some breaking news. Breaking news. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The US has vowed revenge after several of its soldiers were killed and dozens more wounded in a drone strike in the Middle East. Israel has rejected Friday's ruling by the International Court of Justice and vowed to continue its brutal bombardment of Gaza in the name of self-defence. And North Korea has fired several cruise missiles into waters off its east coast amid increasing tensions with the US, South Korea and Japan. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we are uh, still talking with Nick Dunn here this morning, which is great. Uh, talking a little bit about his book, Surviving Hell, which you can get on Amazon. And also you can follow him on the X or Twitter platform at Nick Dunn, D-U-N-N. Nick, you were in the army. You came out of the army. You started uh, serving a little bit of, uh, how would you say, freelance work that landed you in uh, an Indian prison for four years of your life. It was a hellish experience, hence the title of your book, Surviving Hell. Tell us a little bit about what got you into that prison and what was it like in that place and uh, how did you cope? Uh, well, back in October 2013, um, me and my colleagues obviously do, we were doing maritime security, we were on our uh, company vessel and we were off the coast of India seeking fuel and provisions. Um, there was a, a cyclone nearby, so under maritime law you can kind of seek shelter in the, a neighbouring country. Um, and then it just materialized into an absolute nightmare. Uh, we were boarded by the Coast Guard and we were instructed to go to the port in Tutacarin. There was a massive welcome committee, a few days in port, and they said they're taking us to hospital, which we all realized uh, wasn't to be. It was a prison. And, I, and there's one thing that I will always uh, remember, and it's a harrowing experience. And, it, and it's the last ever phone call I was able to speak with my mom, waking her up between the, the hours um, in, of the UK and India, four and a half hours ahead. So she was still asleep in the early hours. And it was just saying, look, mom, I'm getting arrested. I, I, I don't know when I'll next see you. I love you. Um, and that was it. Um, 
and we were off to prison for charges unknown at this time. And the prison that we first originally went to in Palam Courty was built uh, during British uh, rule. So when they found out British uh, people were coming, they were bit more or less saying the shoes on the other foot here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite hellish. Obviously, you've got to deal with the, the conditions, with the, the heat, the cleanliness of the prison, hy- uh, hygiene. You, you need to stay on top of your hygiene, but that doesn't mean that we never got ill. I remember we're all getting ill um, and it went through like a hot knife through butter and the way the prison dealt with medical, you, you just, you're in the back of your head, you think, I'm going to die here. That's how mm-hmm. you, you perceived things. You were like, if I, you know, die here, what on earth is going to happen with my family? There, there was rats, snakes, everything, you know. Mosquitoes. Um, yeah, mosquitoes were just a, an absolute nightmare. Um, oh. But I, I managed to get my sister to sneak a spy pen in. Um, so on my social media, I have taken pictures of the inside of the prison. And with a bit of ingenuity, uh, me and a few colleagues were built our own Flintstone-style gym, which oh. is a, a bit of motivation because... Okay. Um, and this is why I keep mentioning about my military training um, in that situation. We, when when it all goes wrong, we think on our feet and we assess the situation and try and, you know, do things, learn the layout out of the land, so to speak, while you're still fresh and healthy in the mind. Mm-hmm. Because if we just, once you, you know, go into that prison and just feel down and out, your morale's going to deplete and you need to be full of morale as best as you can in them situations. Tell me this. uh, Do you not find um, uh, that what you mentioned there, for example, about number one, you got the lie of the land in that place. So you were, you were thrust into a a situation that you weren't prepared for as in you'd done the army training. You'd been to Afghanistan, you'd been to Iraq, you'd been in conflict, but you'd never been in a hell hole like that Indian prison, for example. So there was nothing would have trained you or prepared you for that. So you were literally thrown into the deep end with your colleagues. So the first thing you do is you get your bearings. The second thing you do is you get some sort of routine established and the third thing you do is you make the best of the situation does that not uh is that not the best training ground possible for anything that's happening in life at the minute because so many people's lives have been turned upside down over the last three years you know with lockdowns or they've lost their jobs or they've you know been isolated from family members it's not the same as being in prison but they find themselves in a very difficult and trying situation the first thing you do is you need to keep your head up and you need to keep your morale up because if you don't have that you're, you're finished once your head goes down that's you done Yes, I totally agree. That's what I did. Um, it's easy to just sit in the corner and cry for mommy. Trust me, I did that. I did that. But you've got to keep positive as best as you can. You've got to keep heading towards the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And when, obviously, I came back in 2017 and then the whole COVID began in 2020 um, and we went into lockdown, Yes, I was working, so I wasn't as uh, stuck in the house like quite a lot of people, but I still was unable to do 
everything that everyone else could do. So a lot of people were asking me, are you having any sort of flashbacks or anything like this? And I went, are you joking? I was in a prison in India, halfway across the world. I'm in me home. Me home is sanctuary. It's safe. I've got everything that I possibly want, need. I can get food delivered to me. But a lot of people didn't say it that way. They were saying yeah. their home is a prison. And mm -hmm. I was doing, and I was told um, by people do like little home workout gym videos and upload mm -hmm. them and try and inspire people. And I was doing lives from me mm -hmm. home just to try and share my prison experience with people. Mm -hmm. So when they thought, oh, I'm in a prison, they would then think twice about saying that because they would have heard my story of actual yeah. prison time and yeah. they're actually at home safe. Mm -hmm. So it's perspective, know, it, isn't it, Nick? It, it's it is, perspective. Yes, yes. And, and I try and take the attitude. Listen, we all have good days and we all have bad days. And even when things you think things are going well, all of a sudden you can be hit with a, a terrible day out of the blue or some bad circumstances happen to you that you're not prepared for. But sometimes we're, we we fall into the trap of wishing things were better. But in reality, we can we should realize that things could be a heck of a lot worse. And just for me personally, when I wake up in the morning, I thank God that if I can walk, I can see. I've just got out of a bed. I've got a roof over my head. Sometimes you can get caught up with the things of this world, what you think you need and what you think you want instead of appreciating the things that you do actually have. And that's why I think uh, just talking to you here this morning, you know, when you realize when you've been in the pits of hell, everything is a blessing. Fresh air is a blessing. Not getting eaten by mosquitoes is a blessing. Being able to talk to your family is a blessing. You know, being able to get, you know, some fast food if you want that. It's a real blessing, but sometimes we can take these things uh, for granted. So we're nearly up to time here. I, I'm, I'm loving talking to you. I was the same as you, by the way. When the lockdown started, I was actually working for the government at the time, and I was walking the roads at night trying to make little video clips about mental health because a lot of people were, you know, getting depressed and getting despondent just about keeping people, keeping their heads up. And then lo and behold, here we are, you know, two, three years later, you've made your videos, I've made my videos, and now we're sitting talking together uh, on TNT this morning, which didn't exist uh, before the lockdowns either. So yeah. good stuff, good stuff can come out of crappy uh, situations. So we've got to wrap this one up for now. I want to give you one more plug before you go, Nick. Please, if you don't already do it, follow Nick on X or Twitter at Nick Dunn 1986, Nick Dunn 1986, and go to Amazon and check out his book, Surviving Hell. As I say, uh, a good friend of mine, Craig, there it is. Yep, Surviving Hell. Uh, it's a it's a great read. My friend Craig Donald endorses it mightily, and he's one of my closest friends. So big salute to you this morning, uh, Nick, and thanks for coming back on and talking and squeezing as much wisdom and uh, experience and insight into this I short try, time that we have as possible. No, you um, did. You succeeded. Well, All right. Just, just a bit of touch up where you're talking about the mental health there. Um, I've suffered mental health and um, how I've learned my own mental health is learn your own signs of, you know, deterioration. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. my people, are, my family were saying, oh, you're, you're becoming a little bit ratty. You, you might miss mm -hmm. a turn and when in the car, you, you seem away and... Mm -hmm. I was starting to learn my uh, signs and when I start having pre little premonitions, that's mm -hmm. when I know 
I'm very deteriorating and I need mm -hmm. to go and seek help. I did talk and therapy. I know mental health that has that big stigma around mm -hmm. it. But sometimes people in this day and age, what I'm now finding out is that blaming everything on and using mental health as an excuse. You've got to differentiate a bad day and a mental health bad day. Mm -hmm. They're not mm -hmm. the same. You can't mm -hmm. blame everything on mental health. But if you're going to continue thinking, I've got mental health problems, you can take a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Your family and friends might want to push you, but ultimately you've got to make that big step and mm -hmm. take the right protocols, the right, the necessary help that is available. It just might, you have to try one, two, three. It doesn't matter how many, you've got to find what works for you. Yeah, and there's groups out there. And again, big thanks to you for highlighting that as well, Nick, as well. You know, men in particular are the worst. They try and bottle it all up. They think they're, you know, an island. They think they can handle all the problems of the world. And sometimes all you need even is just one good friend, an open ear or a shoulder, metaphorically, to cry on, or a group, a support group that usually are available in your area. Look them up uh, and please avail of those services. Don't keep it bottled up and don't keep it all to yourself. Big salute to you this morning, Nick Dunn. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us again. I'm Rick Munn, and I'll be back after this short break with Kate Fontanelle from Western Australia. So don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT, today's news talk. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready. Because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov kids. Rick Mon is locked and loaded on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, TNT, today's News Talk. It is Monday, the 29th of January, Anno Domini 2024. Let's get straight down to business. I am joined again just about by the skin of her teeth by none other than Kate Fantanel, a.k.a. Lady Liberty. She's an advocate for liberty and Australian gun owners. She's a political commentator. She even has her own podcast called Shooting the Breeze with Lady Liberty that you can check out on YouTube. Welcome back, Kate. How are you doing? 
I'm okay, Rick. How are you? I thought you were going to wish me a happy Australia Day for January the 26th, but well, a lot of people uh, weren't saying Australia that Day, Australia Day doesn't, ex it doesn't exist anymore. It's Invasion Day, Kate. I think you're confusing Australia Day with Invasion Day. What's all that about, by the way? I saw the reports last week. I had a quick scan over the news headlines. They're trying to rebrand re Australia Day, Invasion Day. They're saying the mainstream saying most Australians don't want this. What's the big kerfuffle about Australia Day? Sorry, Rick, I think you cut out, but I got the gist of your question. So for on the January 26th, it's been Australia Day for since the 40s now, but people seem to have forgotten that Captain Cook landed on uh, January 18, not January 26. So there's a bit of cultural Marxism going on, a revolution, if you will, by the corporate elite who want to try and change our culture and not let us be proud Australians and celebrate our culture on that date anymore. So I did the great Aussie thing. I went to the beach. I had a few beers with my friends. Um, but it's sad. It's sad to see. It was kind of not being able to say happy australia day my work put out a memo saying don't use the term happy australia day don't even mention it meanwhile there's celebrations for chinese new year coming up with decorations everywhere so it's a sad time to be an australian i'm i'm really struggling with the direction that my country is going in and i know you tweeted about talking to me about cost of living and healthcare, and that's that's the biggest issue affecting australians at the moment so to get dragged into these culture wars and these toxic debates it's just a distraction from the fact that our country is burning down around us and it's the people in charge who aren't doing anything about it well let's uh, because listen no better person to talk to than someone that's living uh, you know at the grassroots level trying to uh, exist in modern day australia you know used to be people left UK, they left Ireland, they left Europe to go to Australia to thrive because the standard of living was better, the 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 atmosphere was better, the weather was legendary, the beaches, it was just a an aspirational place to go and live. But listening to various Australians that I talk to regularly on the show here, it seems to be that that is something of the past. Now, there was a, a post that you had put up here uh, highlighting, for example, just one area in particular, rental crisis uh, that's happening in Australia at the minute. So Perth's housing crisis led bear. This was a story that was published on 7 News Perth. A forest family have been forced to sleep in their car because they can't secure rental, despite having a budget of around 2,000 Aussie dollars a month. Is this real? Can you really not? Is it really that difficult to get properties? Is are they either unaffordable or are they just unavailable, or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both. So in Perth, Western Australia, where I am, there's a less than one percent availability of rentals at the moment. The lineups for these places just goes around the block, and people, even if they have the money, which you know, my rent takes up seventy percent of my budget. So even to have the money to be able to get into the market is the first hurdle to clear, and then finding a place is the second hurdle. And we've just had the highest immigration numbers in Australia since World War II. And we just don't have the housing to be able to keep up with the people who want to come here. And I'm from a family of immigrants. I'm from Italian on my dad's side and Irish 
free settlers on my mum's side. So I understand and I want to welcome these people with open arms, especially those fleeing war-torn Europe and the Middle East. But the reality is there is just not enough housing to go around for all of us. The government isn't looking after the people who are already here, including generations of Australians like mine who have put in the hard yards and paid our taxes for so long. And now we're getting, you know, measly crumbs off the table while rich immigrants come in and they're the ones who are getting the homes. So <laughs> I really fear for the future of my country and I see the culture changing every year, like with Australia Day, and I really don't know what my country will look like in 5, 10 or 20 years' time. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a sobering thought too because if you love your country, which I know that you do, and I know you're loath to, to leave it or even move away from Western Australia, which is where I believe you know that's your battleground and it has been now for the last few years, at least as long as I've been talking to you here in Locked and Loaded, you know, it's almost like you're being forced out uh, through circumstances beyond your control. And if you're paying 70% of your income towards rent, it means you can't really get ahead in any other way. And I know there's a lot of people listening, you know, a lot of people people listening to me in Ireland and the UK at the minute. The situation's the same here too. I'll give you an example. In Northern Ireland, where I live, if you go onto the rental finder for properties in Northern Ireland, okay, and you take a budget of that 2000 Aussie dollars, slightly higher than that, let's call it 2200 Aussie dollars. Do you know how many properties are available in Northern Ireland for that budget? How many properties in the whole country are available for that budget? I can't even, less than 1%. <laughs> 40, 40. There are 40 properties available for rent at that budget in Northern Ireland. And I'm talking for the whole country here, Kate. So we're a smaller country, of course, than Australia. But let me tell you this, the squeeze is on big time in Ireland here too. And what it's causing people to do is they're, they're leaving. They're leaving the country. The, the younger people are leaving. If you're older and you have a house, it's not so bad because you have a property and you have some security of tenancy. But for young people now, they can't get on the housing market to buy. They're also finding themselves squeezed out of the rental market too. So my commiserations uh, to you over there in Perth as well. It's not a it's not a particularly good setup. We talk about uh, health as well. I know you were feeling a little bit poorly over the weekend. You had a little bit of an experience with the Aussie Health Service. I saw a post that you put up there about uh, a young girl that was, uh, she had delayed treatment that resulted in her death. Uh, what was your experience of having to go to the hospital as an inpatient, I'm sure you were loath to do it, but there you were anyway. What was it like for you? Well, the first thing I noticed were the signs. Um, so a little girl back in Easter 2021, she went to hospital with her parents. Her name was Ashwarya, and she was suffering from sepsis shock and progressively got worse and worse and worse, and it took 90 minutes before the nurses and doctors were able to get to her. And by that stage, it was too late. So we had a young a young child die in the waiting room in a Perth hospital in 2021. And at that time, the borders were still closed because under the guise of preparing the hospital system for the pandemic, they had been closed in March 2020. By March 2021, we still had an episode of a young girl dying in a government-run hospital. So the first thing I noticed when I went in Saturday night is the sign saying, if you are getting worse, please let us know. So at least they've instigated some change from an avoidable death. And we're at the moment, the Western Australian 
parties are getting ready to register for ballot access to the next election, which is in March 2025. So they have until next month to register a party to run. Not sure what's happening with the Libertarian Party, which I was formerly a part of. Don't know what's happening there, but I'm seeing in the news all these people and wannabe politicians coming out and they're talking about how they want to run for themselves and not much is being said about what they want to do for the people. So on Saturday night when I was in hospital, I know other people were probably thinking of other things, but all I could think about was the people who have suffered under this Labor government. And I really do hope that there is change in the air come next election because the people on the ground deserve a lot better than what we've got here at the moment. There seems to be, though, do you not find, you know, I was stunned at the, you know, the, the way the people of Western Australia accepted uh, Mark McGowan's dictatorship. On the whole, of course, a lot of people weren't happy with it, but generally people accepted it. The same was with Dan Andrews in Victoria. These lockdown premiers, they've all been swept to the side now. They've quit, they've ran off, or they've thrown their uh, towel into the ring. They've been replaced by a new bunch. Do you think people will? I mean, like, what's it? What's the general? I know you're not happy, obviously, for reasons that you've just let out wisely. So, but are people just resigning themselves to accept that this is the new normal? This is the way how things are, and despite the fact that we want change and we want breakthrough, we need the majority of people to fall in line with that. And do we have the majority of people thinking like that? I think in twelve months' time, after suffering a lot more that maybe people will realise that the answer isn't voting in either of the duopoly and it's time to elect people who actually want to represent the people and the interests of the people, not people with self-interest and who have corporate cronies and union thugs that they want to look after before they even consider their own people in their electorates. But I think if Australians continue to suffer like we are, for the next 12 months. Like I said, I don't know what my country will look like in that time, but I really hope that that spirit, that Australian spirit that we went to Gallipoli with, you know, for justice and righteousness, I hope there are people like me out there who realise that enough is enough. We have suffered enough and it's time that we hold the people at the, the top accountable for what they did to us, not just the last few years, but what they are doing to our country now every day. So I live with hope. I live with hope, Rick. Do you know what? Uh, you know, it's been two when you first started coming on to uh, the show here. It was two years ago. It was February. 2022 and i think at that point you were just throwing your uh hat into the ring as the lead senate can lead senate candidate for the lib dems out there in western australia i've talked to a lot of people and yourself in that interim period uh there's a lot of despondency out there with regards to politics the general consensus is at least here in the uk we need a complete sweeping of the board we need to push all the old guard out we need a new breed of independent type candidate with no links that haven't been bought that they're not compromised that they're not old traditionalists where are you fitting into this uh political landscape right now? Are you uh, still uh, watching from the sidelines? I'm sure you're plotting deep down in that skull of yours somewhere, uh, a political maneuver. Uh, but uh, anything you care to share with us this morning? Where are you at at the minute? Sort of, I know you're a little bit politically homeless, but where are you going to fit into all this? You can't just quit. I Someone asked me this the other day on my Facebook, and I said, if that's what the people want, then I will run again. Um, but I'm not sure if our current political system and the way that it is set up is 
going to affect much change. I think we need to look at the whole system and that includes looking at the fact that we are still part of the monarchy and the Commonwealth. I really feel like Australia should stand on its own, own two feet and that it should be the people who run it, kind of like the American Revolution, but hopefully a peaceful revolution because I am a peaceful person at heart. But I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I really feel that we need change. Yeah, we do. There's at heart, but I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I really feel that we need change. Yeah, we do. There's another story here that I want to cover with you before the top of the hour. Uh, the talk over the last week in the UK has been about conscription, about how that if Russia somehow beats Ukraine, which they have, uh, they're coming for Europe next. Britain has been told to prepare itself for possible conscription. The backlash against that has been unbelievable. I've just had a guy on just before you, uh, Nick Dunn, who's an ex-para uh, British Army guy. He said there's no way in hell that he would sign up again to fight for proxy wars for the current crop of politicians in there at the minute. Sky News Australia, uh, forgive me for quoting them here this morning, but they put up a post to say Australia must seriously consider reintroducing a form of national service service after NATO warned civilians to prepare for an all-out war with Russia within 20 years, writes Dr. Alexei Muraviev. So Dr. Alexei says, Kate, pick up that pistol of yours and go and fight uh, Putin uh, in Ukraine. We want a proxy war. We want you in the front line. What are you going to do? It's quite ironic that this government is trying to disarm me and my peaceful people who go out hunting and shooting at targets on the weekend and in the same breath say that they want to force me to go and fight a foreign war in another nation under the guise of bringing freedom to another nation. Um, the hypocrisy, it, it sickens me and I will not be taking arms against any of my fellow humans under the guise of any instruction from any government. I'm ungovernable. And I will not take any part in this. And this is the reason that former Senator David Lionhelm, who was the first libertarian senator ever elected in Australia, he became a libertarian because of conscription back in when we we're in Vietnam when they brought it in, because the government does not have the right to send us and tell us where we have to go and fight against our fellow humans. That that is not what I'm about at all. <laughs> No, it's not. I, mean, I was speaking to another guy last week, uh, Mike, Parallel Mike is his name. He's a Brit who's now living in Poland. They are bringing this in in Poland at the minute. They're, they're bringing back conscription there. And if you refuse to sign up the army and pick up your rifle and go and fight uh, against Putin, then you could face up to three years in jail. A lot of Polish people are prepared to do the jail time now. They said, I'd rather do three years in a jail than go and get shot dead for reasons unknown uh, against uh, the Russian meat grinder that's currently chewing its way through the eastern parts of Ukraine. So I think... It's interesting at this point in time, Kate, uh, we compared with, you know, when the First World War, when the Brits were told uh, they, need, they needed them to go and fight against uh, Germany, up to 30,000 people a day were in London signing up to go and fight in the First World War. I would say you would they would struggle to get even 1% of that these days. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with people it's knowledge. They know what's going on at the minute. They know how corrupt the governments are. They know that the real bad guys sometimes are the people that are their own so-called elected representatives. So I think we're seeing a little bit of a tide change here. What do you reckon as we just uh, wrap up the show? Do, are we seeing a shift in people's attitudes and perceptions? I think so. And it's important to differentiate. You can love your country with a passion, but mm -hmm. still hate the people who run it. 
And that's mm-hmm. where I'm sitting at the moment. The decisions are not in the interests of the Australian people on the ground. It's self-interest. It's the military industrial war compact complex don't get me started on the medical industrial complex mm-hmm. so it's i'm i'm glad that people are standing up and saying no enough is enough we are free people give us our human rights and leave us alone to live peacefully yeah you know this has been dragging on for an awful long time and as you say it's not just the last three years this is going back for decades people have been trodden upon and uh, trodden down by their so-called governments but there's only so much uh, that people can take and eventually there is that final straw that breaks the camel's back or the worm eventually does turn and the mouse eventually does roar and let's hope fingers and toes crossed maybe 2024 will be the year that that happens not just in Australia of course but right across the world so we're pretty much up to time here this morning big respect to you I know you've been feeling very poorly over the weekend and you like a trooper agreed to come on here and talk to us this morning so massive thanks and appreciation uh, to you Kate Fantanel follower if you don't already do so on extra Twitter at Lady Liberty AUS also her website and also check out her Shooting the Breeze podcast on YouTube Kate hopefully you're feeling a little bit better we'll stay in contact and you have a lovely evening over there in Perth and Western Australia try not to get too depressed about your rent the best is yet to come I'm Rick Munn I'm out of here James Freeman is incoming I'll be back again in the morning 9am UK with Natalie on Open Line stay tuned for more here on TNT Today's News Talk Talk